You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints, we have today before us the gospel of our Lord Jesus appearing to His disciples on Easter and the Sunday after. And we want to consider the text first to consider the history of the resurrection and then to reflect a little bit on the teaching of the text. First, this is the first appearing of Jesus to the ten apostles, not twelve, because Judas was already buried in Potter's Field and Thomas is out somewhere. Now, a lot of things had already happened this first Easter morning. Putting the pieces together, we have a picture something like this. And the thing that helps uh, make sense of this is that Peter and John were staying in one place, perhaps John's home there in the city of Jerusalem, while the other nine were, or the other, yes, the other nine were staying where the upper room was, maybe the house of the family of Mark who wrote the gospel. Now, the women, Mary Magdalene and Salome and, uh, and one of the other Marys had gone to the tomb first thing on Easter Sunday to finish the work of burying the body of Jesus, to finish the anointing and the wrapping and all of the customs that were there. They arrive early in the tomb, just as the sun is coming up, and they see that the tomb is open. And Mary Magdalene, at this point, turns and runs to find John and Peter. The other women linger at the tomb and, and in fact, go and look inside and see their two angels who tell them to go and find the disciples and to find Peter and to let them know that Jesus is raised. This was the gospel that we heard last Sunday. And they left the tomb to go find Peter, but they were afraid, and so they wandered around for a while. In the meantime, Mary reports to Peter and John the resurrection of Jesus, who then all three of them run back to the tomb. Remember, John gets there first, probably he's younger. And Peter, who's bolder, goes right into the tomb, and they see that Jesus isn't there. There's the, the, the wrapping that would have covered his body, s- simply fallen where it lay, but the, the cloth that was covering the face of Jesus was nicely folded and placed there on the, on the slab where the body would have been. And John and Peter wonder about these things, and so they leave and go back, or go head back to John's home while Mary Magdalene stays and Jesus appears to her. His first appearance. She thinks that he's the gardener, remember? If you've moved him, let us know where you put his body. And Jesus says to her, Mary! And she recognizes her Lord. In the meantime, after Jesus, uh, Mary leaves the garden to go and tell the other disciples, and Jesus appears to the other women as they're on the way to Peter and John's house, maybe as they're waiting there at the house for them, so that when Peter and John get back, the women report that Jesus came to them as well, and they all go find the other disciples. Mary joins them, and they're at the, the upper room, and they're gathered there. Cleopas and one of the other disciples leaves at that point and goes to Emmaus. Thomas also leaves. We don't know why, but he also leaves the room. But the other disciples are there, and they're afraid. Now, to the two disciples who were going on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears, his third appearance, and he walks with them all the way to Emmaus. Now, he appears to them in such a way, this is one of these great 
joyful and wondrous mysteries that Jesus appears to them in such a way that they don't recognize him. And remember the conversation? This is Luke 24. It's just, it's simply beautiful. Uh, uh, Jesus says, why do you look so mopey? (laughs) And they said, are you the only stranger that doesn't know what happened? Jesus, the one that we had hoped to be the Messiah. And that's an important word, hoped. It's past tense. The one that we hoped to be the Messiah. He's dead. And some women went and saw the tomb was empty this morning. And we haven't, and we don't know what these these mysterious things mean. And Jesus says, oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then it says he took and he unfolded the scriptures from Moses all the way through the prophets, teaching them that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die before he entered into his glory. They still don't know it's Jesus. So they get to the place where they're going in Emmaus. And Jesus pretends like he would keep going and they compel him to come inside. And so Jesus says the dinner prayer and breaks the bread and they see that it's him and then he's gone. And those two disciples turn and run back to Jerusalem. Now, in the meantime, as they're coming back to Jerusalem, Jesus appears to his disciples. And that's the gospel text that we have today from John chapter 20. The ten are there and they're locked in the room for fear of the Jews. Now, we want to point out, because Thomas is so significant in this account, that the, that the reason why Thomas wasn't there, the only reason we know, is that he wasn't afraid. I mean, the Scripture tells us why the other ten were there behind locked door. Because they were afraid that the Jews, the Sanhedrin, or some of the soldiers would catch them also, and that they would receive the same thing that Jesus did. I mean, they were part of the same insurrection that Jesus had tried to start, so that they would be locked up, perhaps they too would be crucified. They're afraid, but note that Thomas does not have that same fear. Whatever Thomas was doing, it was because he was not afraid to be condemned and die with Jesus. Now, Jesus appears to the disciples, and here's the text. He does something wonderfully unexpected. John chapter 20, verse 19 and following. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When the disciples, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Simply beautiful. Now, John lets us know, verse 24, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, Jesus will leave his disciples, and and then at this point, Thomas will return, and so do the disciples who were in Emmaus. They return and say, we saw the Lord, and, and the disciples say, we saw him too. Everyone's seen him. That walking to Emmaus saw him. That Mary Magdalene at the grave saw him. The women as they were going to find Peter saw him. Everybody is talking about how they saw Jesus. Except for Thomas. So Thomas gets back and the other disciples, verse 25, tell him, We have seen the Lord. 
The verb there uh, in Hebrew, you have a couple, or sorry, in Greek, you have a couple different ways of talking about past tense. And this is imperfect, which indicates that they kept on telling him. It was ongoing action in the past. They were, they, they were trying to convince Thomas that they had seen the Lord trying this angle and that. Peter, you tell him. John, you say it. You, uh, uh, Thomas, when have you ever doubted any of us? But Thomas says to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand, thrust my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, we don't know how it was with Thomas exactly, what he was thinking. But perhaps it was this. If Jesus would have waited for five minutes, I would have been back. Or if Jesus wanted me to believe in the resurrection, then he would have appeared to me. Whatever it was, you have to imagine how different it was. The kind of sadness and fear when Thomas left that room compared to the excitement when he got back. But now, as these ten and all the others are unable to convince Thomas of what they saw, the, the whole room must have become stale. You, you know how this is when you're in an argument and it just kind of solidifies? No, no, nobody is going to change their mind. It just People get kind of stuck in their, in their own opinions and, and they really stop listening to each other. And the room settles down into kind of a quiet hostility. It's kind of how we have to imagine it, this upper room for these eight days. But then the text skips forward to this Sunday, to the Sunday after the resurrection, and we pick up with verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here in my hand. Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Now notice first, we notice that that Jesus knew the very words that Thomas had spoken a week ago, even though you couldn't see him in the room, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails. And then Jesus shows Thomas his side. Look, Thomas, where the spear was thrust into me. And and Thomas believes Jesus and makes one of the most beautiful, beautiful confessions of faith recorded in the entirety of the Scripture. Thomas answered Jesus and says, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus, thinking of you, says to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John, who's writing all of this down for us so that we don't miss the impact of what Jesus is saying, adds these two verses, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in His name. Thomas believed because he put his finger in the hole of Jesus' hands. But you, dear saints, believe because you have the word of Jesus. His death and his resurrection. His promise. That gives us faith. So these are the first five of Jesus' 11 reported appearances between the resurrection and the ascension to the right hand of the Father. 
Jesus would go on to appear to his disciples at the Sea of Galilee when they were fishing on a mountain in Galilee where he tells them to go out and baptize, making disciples of all nations. Again, in Jerusalem, he appears individually to James and to Peter and then to over 500 people at a single time and then his last appearance where he leads them from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives and ascends in their sight to the heavens. And this is the history. It is for us, all of it, for our salvation, for our, as John says, for our believing joy and for our instruction in wisdom and in truth. And that's what we consider next, the teaching of the text. Now, there's so much teaching and instruction in this text that it's hard to figure out what to talk about. There is, for example, the institution of the office of the holy ministry as Jesus breathes on his disciples and sends them out to preach and forgive sins. In this gospel, we have one of the clearest teachings on the divinity of our Lord Jesus, where Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God. The theology of the resurrection is here. As Jesus shows his disciples his resurrected body, still with the scars of the crucifixion. Put your hands here in my side, Jesus says to Thomas. And this teaches us, now this is an important thing that I think that we forget about all the time. This teaches us the continuity of our earthly bodies with our resurrected bodies. I mean, I don't think we can say this enough because we somehow think of the resurrection as totally disconnected with our body here, perhaps because we don't want this body. <laughs> we hope to trade it in and get a newer version or something like that. But this body, the one that you have right now, is the body that will be raised. Now, it'll be raised without sickness, without death, without sorrow, without dying, without any of the things that trouble you. But it will be your body. Your grave will be just as empty as Jesus' grave is now. The text teaches us about Jesus' presence, how Jesus comes to us in the church. Even though they couldn't see Jesus, remember, he was there listening to the words of Thomas's own doubt. He knew about their conversation and that Jesus could come to them through the locked doors. This comforts us when we think even of our Lord's Supper, how it was, how it is that Jesus puts his body and his blood on the altar. I'm told that in the ancient church on this day, Quasimodo, they would close the doors of the church and then the priest would talk about how even though the doors were closed, Jesus still brings his body into our midst for us to touch, to take and to eat. It's wonderful. The efficacy of the scriptures is taught in this text. As John says that these things are written that you may believe that faith is created by hearing God's word. Jesus has not come to us with his wounds to convince us that he is raised. He comes to us with an even more blessed means, the apostolic word. And through that word, he creates and sustains faith in our heart. Now, these are, I mean, all there in the text, and it's quite wonderful. But the text, the, the, the doctrine that I think we should meditate on this morning is especially this teaching of the absolution. Where Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Now, I, I've told you all the story of the first time I visited the Lutheran liturgy, really revisited the divine service of a Lutheran church, and, and I was paying attention. <laughs> and, and I heard the pastor up there forgiving my sins. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. And I thought to myself, who does this guy think he is forgiving my sins? I was totally offended by this. I don't need some man to stand there and forgive me. I can go straight to God. And I went up to the pastor after the service and I told him as much. 
And he did something very wise, blessedly wise. He opened the Bible to these words of our Lord, John chapter 20. And he showed me what Jesus said. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. The text is beautiful and simple and clear. Jesus gives the authority to forgive sins to his church. And when sins are forgiven on earth, they are truly forgiven even in heaven itself. Jesus, in fact, has established his church for the distribution of this forgiveness because he wants you to have it. I mean, think of it, of all the things that you would expect Jesus to do on the day that he conquers death and leaves the grave forever in the dust, I don't think that this would be on the list. I mean, maybe he would breathe on his disciples and give them the Spirit and send them out to raise people from the dead. Or maybe he would breathe on his disciples and give them the Spirit and give them the authority to go out and, and, and heal people of their, uh, of their sicknesses. Or maybe Jesus would breathe on his disciples and give, his, uh, give them power like he gave to the judges of the Old Testament. And they could go out and conquer the world, overthrow the Romans, restore the Jewish homeland. Something like that. But Jesus does none of these things. He breathes on his disciples and he gives them his Holy Spirit and he says to them, Go and forgive sins. You see, Jesus does not want to give to us simply his victory on Easter. He wants to give to us the victory that he won on Good Friday. Jesus knows that your death and dying is not your real problem, that it's only a symptom of the deeper problem, which is your sin. The wages of sin is death. But sin is the trouble. So Jesus is addressing this, the root and essential problem that we have, that we have broken God's law in what we've done and what we've failed to do, that we have by our living deserved God's wrath. And Jesus says to his disciples and to his church, take care of it. Take my blood and give it to the people. Take my victory and apply it to them. Take my mercy and lavish it on the church. Take my absolution, the forgiveness of sins, the victory of the cross, and press it into the people's ears and into their hearts so that they know without question and without doubt that I am not angry with them, but that I love them that my death was for them, that my resurrection is for them, that my prayers are for them, that everything in my beating heart that is now alive is for my people, that I have claimed them as my own, put my name on them, and I will have them forever. Now, the devil, right where Jesus wants to bless with his absolution, is right where the devil attacks. And he attacks you with doubt, with temptation, and especially this, to think that you are not forgiven that Jesus was not dead and raised for you. But all of this darkness and death and doubt, Jesus will overcome with this sure and certain promise. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. You, then, are forgiven. All of your sin is died for by Jesus. It's covered with His blood. It's left behind. When Jesus left the grave, He left it there so that all of the things that you have to contend with, sin, death, and the devil, temptation, 
and trouble, sickness and death. All of it has been overcome. And you have the assurance of this and God's love in these words. That your sins are forgiven. Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever's sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And so, as a called and ordained servant of the word, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's peace be with you. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.